passage, if you would, and turn with me to the book of 1 John, chapter number 4. If you haven't had a chance to avail yourself to the music and the teaching series, I encourage you to do that. We want to be blessed by that music. As we mentioned earlier in the week, we have to be careful and guard what we put into our spirit. We need anointed things going into our spirit. Hallelujah. Nothing like some good old Creston Tomlin music to help you with that. Amen. Amen. I want to preach from my heart tonight. I've entitled this message, A Fresh Look at Love. A Fresh Look at Love. First John chapter number 4. It would help if the evangelist would get there. First John 4. What we're about to read tonight, you're not going to hear or read any more powerful verses, verses of Scripture than what we're going to read tonight. This is as powerful and as potent as it gets. We're going to begin at verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Lord, I thank you again tonight for your precious word. I thank you for your sweet presence that has been here. Even when we were practicing and rehearsing earlier, Lord, we felt your presence in such a sweet way. I thank you, Lord, for ministering to your people tonight. And that, Lord, I'm believing tonight for a fresh baptism of the love of Jesus. In this church, upon every person, that we might live and walk in your love and that your love will bubble up out over out of our hearts onto this sick, sin-filled, sad world full of people who desperately need it. That your love be the prevailing mark of our lives, our homes, and every church. We ask it in your name. Everybody said, Amen. 
love. Just think about that word. It can make the heart flutter uncontrollably. It can make the toughest man blush. It can make a grown man cry and women jump for joy. The world is obsessed with this thing called love and the world has written and sing songs about it. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, or you're nobody till somebody loves you, they write, or everybody wants somebody to love. We have an insatiable desire to write about it. Almost without exception, you can walk into any store and see shelf after shelf lined with romantic novels. Love has taken over the airwaves. Millions of people Wait with bated breath from Friday to Monday to find out, will John get Mary or will Mary forsake John for Luke? Or will Luke go after Sally before Mary can forsake John for Luke? Television is littered with experts and interviews and talk shows claiming to offer solutions to the world's deepest love issues. Magazines are filled with articles and surveys to determine how, what, when, and why a person has or hasn't found love and what hang-ups are keeping that person from finding true love. The Bible is God's love letter to man. The Apostle John is the Bible's love expert. No one in the Word of God speaks of love with more depth and detail than John the Apostle. Tonight we're going to take a fresh look at love and here in these verses John points out four powerful truths about real love. They are love's sure evidence, love's supreme example, love's spiritual essence, and love's supernatural effects. So number one tonight, love's sure evidence. Verse 7 through 9, we read it, but let me read it again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Love is the thermometer that takes our spiritual temperature. If we were put on trial tonight for being Christians, love is the one immutable witness that would either convict us of being saved. Love proves two things about us. Number one, that we are in the family of God. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, for everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. So love's sure evidence proves that we're in the family of God. The sure fire mark that we are children of God is love. God's children are loving children. When I was born into this world, I took on the nature of my parents. When I was born of the Spirit, I took on the nature of God. Second Peter chapter one verse four says we became partakers of his divine nature. When I was born physically, I took on my father's nature and acted naturally. But when I was born spiritually, I took on God's nature and acted supernaturally. So what is God's nature? God's nature is love for God is love. Now that's not to say that love is God. You cannot reverse that statement. Somebody put it this way and I like it. Love does not define God, but God defines love. That is all that God is and all that God does is motivated by love. God created this world purely out of a motive of love. God created you and me just so he could love us. God created heaven so he could have a place where he could love, love us and we could love each other for all eternity. Incidentally, God even created hell out of a motive of love. Hell was originally created for the devil and his angels. It was created so that his children might be forever separated from those who rebelled against him. In fact, you need to know tonight the only reason that a man would go to hell is because he has willingly rejected the love of God. 
I want anybody listening to me tonight by Facebook Live and everybody in this room to hear it again. And I know most of you know it, but God does not send anyone to hell. They decide to make that the eternal residence by rejecting the love of God for them. So here is the unchanging spiritual truth. God is love. Those who have been born again are children of God. God's children share God's nature. So God's children, therefore, will love. So the first surefire evidence is that we're in the family of God. Second of all, that we are in fellowship with God. Verse 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now the word know here in verse 8 has a much deeper meaning than simply intellectual understanding. It goes beyond a mental knowledge of the head. It is an intimate knowledge of the heart. There is a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. If we want to know how close we are to God, make it personal. If you want to know how close you are to God, if you want to know the reality of your fellowship with God, then ask yourself this question tonight. How much love is in my heart right now? It doesn't matter what else might be true of you or me. What we do in the church or for the church is not the litmus test. Paul told the Corinthian believers if they could speak with the tongues of angels, understand all mysteries and obtain all knowledge, have faith to move mountains, give everything they have to the poor, and even go as far as to give their bodies to be burned. But if they do not possess the agape, God kind of love, that all these amazing gifts and actions profit them nothing. It is no accident that 1 Corinthians 13 is placed by the Holy Spirit before chapter 14, which opens up to us the intricate details of the spiritual gifts. These gifts are given out of love and must operate out of love and will only be effective out of love. I have seen people say that they're operating in the spiritual gifts, but they use them to browbeat people. They use them to control. They use them to take advantage. But any time the true gifts of the Spirit are in operation, you will feel the love of God in it. You will feel the love in His presence all over it. And unless those gifts are used in love and out of love because they're given for that purpose, they ultimately will profit nothing. Tonight, I am loving God from this pulpit. Yes, I am preaching. But Ephesians 4.15 says that I am to speak the truth in love. So therefore, as I do, I'm loving God from this pulpit on this Tuesday night. Everything we are for the kingdom of God hinges on its outflow from the love of God. Verses 7 and 8 reveal the true indicator of knowing God. Everyone who has the love of God flowing in them is born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not have the love of God flowing in them does not know God. This love is not contrived. This love is not conjured up. You can't fake this kind of love. We will be found out quickly whether or not it's genuine. There's nothing more repulsive in the world than somebody that really doesn't love you, but they're trying to act like they do. It's stinky. You can see right through it. You see, this love I'm talking about tonight only comes by the born-again experience and it only overflows out of the regenerated heart. If somebody does not know Jesus as their personal Savior, they cannot love as they should because this love I'm preaching about tonight only comes in a life that surrendered to Christ has experienced that love for themselves. Love's sure evidence. Number two, love's supreme example. Oh, it just gets gooder right here. Hallelujah. Verses 9. This is good preaching tonight. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. 
Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Love's supreme example. The word manifested here in verse 9 means to come out in the open or to make public display. The cross is God's flashing neon sign that God loves us. He is a fool who doubts two things, the existence of God and the love of God. The man who doubts the existence of God is a fool because the Bible says in Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Psalm 19 and 1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. The man who doubts the love of God is a fool because the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, the proof of God's amazing love is this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians chapter Chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. And you, being dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So the cross is not only the demonstration of love, But the cross is the definition of love. Love has very special characteristics that make it true love. Number one tonight, true love is a sacrificial love. God gave His only begotten Son. The word only begotten is one word in the Greek and it means one of a kind. So when God gave us Jesus, he gave us his one-of-a-kind son and spared nothing to save us. You have to sacrifice in order to love. Love costs. I've heard many stories in my life about the ideology of the hippie movement, the free love mentality. You hear me tonight, Oak Grove, if it's free, it's not love. If it's love, it's not free. You have to pay a price to love. It costs God His only Son to love this world. It costs Jesus His life to love the church. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. And the Holy Spirit is telling us here, but if we're going to love the way that we should, it's going to take the kind of sacrifice that Jesus displayed in giving Himself for us. Calvary was the supreme definition of sacrificial love. So real love is a sacrificial love. Secondly, true love is a selfless love. God sent Jesus not for what it would do for Him, but what it would do for us. Real love is always a love that seeks to meet the need of somebody else. Our world needs to hear this message tonight. The selfishness of this world is appalling. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 6 through 11, the New Living Translation, I like, love the way it puts it. Though he was in the form of God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position as a slave, and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all of the names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue declared that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You listen to me tonight. When I was in darkness, God sent his light. When I was in deadness, God sent his life. When I was in doom, God sent his love. You see, the death of Jesus, friend, was not an accident. It was an appointment. I'm going to say that again. The death of Jesus was not an accident. It was an appointment. He did not die as a weak martyr. He died as a mighty conqueror. Jesus died that we might live through him. He died that we might live for him. He died that we might live with him. It's a selfless love that sent Jesus to the cross. Real love is a sacrificial love. Oh, I'm having fun tonight. Oh, you got something better than this? I want it tonight. True love is a selfless love. Thirdly, true love is a satisfying love. 
A satisfying love. Verse number 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. The word propitiation is one of the most beautiful words in all the Bible. You know what it means? It means satisfaction. So even though God is a God of love, we're told in 1 John 1, 5 that God is light. Light refers to the purity and the holiness of God. God's love is a holy love. This simply means that God could not love the sinner and allow his sin to go unpunished. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Anybody listening to me tonight needs to know that if you are a person whose life is full of sin and it's taking your life over and it's controlling you, you need to know that God loves you. He loves you so much. He cannot accept the sin that's in your life, but he made provision by what Jesus did for you on the cross for you to come to him and this awesome salvation he'll forgive you of that sin he'll make it as though it never happened but you have to come to him and admit that you need him hallelujah this simply means that God could not love the sinner and allow a sin to go unpunished. The wrath of God abides on the sins of this world. Ezekiel 18 verse 20, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But God did not want to give us death. He wanted to give us life. Somebody say hallelujah for that. So God sent His one-of-a-kind Son. And Isaiah 53 6 says, The Father placed on Him the iniquity of us all. Iniquity is the inherent tendency to sin. Every one of us in this room was born into this world with an inherent tendency to sin into iniquity. Jesus took the wrath we deserved upon Himself that we might live through Him. God's demand for payment was satisfied. Isaiah 53.10 It satisfied the Lord to bruise Him when His soul will become the offering for sin. It had to be this way because a holy God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. Someone has well said that if a judge lets a guilty man go free, the judge himself is condemned. At the cross, the light of God's holiness met the love of God's forgiveness and gave to everyone who wants it this awesome salvation. And to understand salvation, you have to understand justification. Justification is the act of acquittal by a holy God whereby a person is declared righteous and not guilty. And God had to find a way to justify you and justify me while himself remaining just. That was the dilemma. God had to remain just because he is perfect and he had to find a solution to justify us while himself remaining just. The only way he could do it was sending Jesus to be the scapegoat for our sin. When a person is accused of a crime, even though they are declared not guilty, it is still a matter of record that they were charged with that crime. But when you and I are justified by the court of heaven, there is not even a record left of us ever being charged. What love! What satisfaction! Oh, lift your hands and praise Him for that kind of love tonight. That nothing you've ever done in disobedience to God is even though you ever did it, you like you never were charged because the blood of Jesus by His mercy and grace justified you. Woo! Where I come from, that is all right now. Hallelujah. Well, fourthly, true love is a sharing love. A sharing love. Verse number 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Oh, you can't read this verse enough. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Babies are born into this world. Jesus was sent into this world. As the Son of Man, Jesus was born. As the Son of God, He was sent. You see, true love shares. True love gives. It does not give what someone deserves. It gives what someone needs. And there's not a greater mark of how much a person loves God than what he or she gives to God. Why he or she gives to God and how that we give to God. Pastor I was with recently said that a man came, he had been preaching a series on stewardship and tithing and giving and what that is all about. And the man was really upset and came to the 
to the foyer to the the entry of the church there and said, Pastor, for the past this many number of weeks, that's all I hear you talk about is money, 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 give, give, give. And the pastor said, thank you for the best definition of Christianity I've ever heard. Because you can't give without, you, you can give without loving. But you can't love without giving. I'm going to say that again. You can give without loving. But you can't love without giving. A person who does not give joyfully and generously to the work of God does not understand Christ, does not understand the cross, and does not understand true love. We've talked about love's sure evidence, love's supreme example. Number three tonight, love's spiritual essence. It bears repeating that the kind of love that we're speaking about tonight is marked not so much by natural, but supernatural characteristics. Verse number 12, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and love is perfected in us. Hereby know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Verse 17. Here is our, here, herein is our love made perfect. We may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Love's spiritual essence. So number one is love's provision. Love's provision shows us the very essence of love. Notice that John said in those verses that God has given us of his Holy Spirit. Now God has given us his Holy Spirit. We understand that. But here John is not talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit as much as he is talking to us about what the Holy Spirit's gift is to us. Love is produced in us supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. You see, I can, I can preach to you. I can come back here every Sunday morning and Sunday night for the next six months. And some of you are thinking, oh, Lord Jesus, I don't think I can handle that. And I could preach the same message on love every service. And after hearing me preach a message like this over and over and over again, you could grit your teeth and think about those brothers and sisters you find it very hard to love and you can say to yourself over and over and over, I love her, I love her, I love her. Bless God, I love him, I love him, I love him. And if we reach down into our own heart, and try to pull up a bucket of love, all we'll get is a bucket of dust. We've all been there. Love is not something you work up within you. Love is something that God works out through you. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost, this is awesome. The Holy Ghost keeps emptying buckets of the love of God into our hearts. So when we have the occurrence of having to love somebody that's hard to love, and if you haven't faced it yet, it will come. Instead of gritting your teeth and saying, I'm going to love you, bless God, no matter what. We just say, God, you love them through me. Christian living is not so much our living for God, it is God living through us. Christian loving is not our effort to love others for God, it is our yieldedness to allow God to love others through us. I'm going to say that again. Christian living is not so much our living for God, it is God living through us. And Christian loving is not our effort to love others for God. It is our yieldedness to allow God to love them through us. God grants the provision to love through the Holy Spirit to be a vessel of His love. Wow. 
So love's provision. Second of all is love's profession. Love's profession. Verse 14, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Now, it's very interesting to me that these verses are even here in this passage of Scripture. It is almost as if John moves from a discussion about love to a discussion about the person of Jesus. But as I began to meditate on these verses, I realized again that love's greatest subject is Jesus. And Jesus said in John 16, 13, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not talk about himself, but that Jesus will be the focus and the center and the subject of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus is not Lord in your heart tonight, then God's love is not in your heart. And just let me say this. There's a lot of frustration with pastors right now in the church because they're trying to disciple people that have never been born again. You can't disciple somebody that hadn't been saved. And there's a lot of people that are coming into the church as a whole and they're coming and being a part and they're going through the motions and they're wondering why they're in constant frustration and why this isn't clicking in their heart. It's because the spirit and the flesh are in enmity with each other. The flesh cannot understand the spiritual things. And until you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, and for somebody that's listening, you can try to be holy on your own. You can do spiritual things. You can go, you can go to, to good places. You can try to turn over a new leaf. But until Jesus Christ comes into your life and transforms you and regenerates you and transforms you into a new being, you'll never be able to get this. It'll never work. It's not just turning over a new leaf. It's just not change and some habits. It's called regeneration by the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad you've been regenerated tonight? Hallelujah. I agree. Love's profession is Jesus Christ is Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. Anywhere there is a tangible presence of God, The Holy Spirit is exalting Christ over all and His people are professing Him as Lord. Lift your hands and just profess Him as Lord one more time tonight. We profess You, Lord. We declare You, Lord. Lord of all. Lord of our heart. Lord of our home. Lord of my life. Oh, it's the greatest love story of all time. That when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God saw us in our lost condition. And even as early in the book of Genesis chapter 3, He looked at the devil said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. And there's going to come one. He's going to bruise his heel. He's going to, he's going to crush your head. Who was it talking about? He was talking about Jesus, the answer, the solution, the greatest love story. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. Hallelujah. This is a book about Jesus. He is love's profession. Oh, that just blessed me. Hallelujah. Amen. Love's provision, love's profession. Thirdly, love's possession. Verse number 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. John is simply saying, where you live depends on how you love. I'll say that again. John is simply saying to us here that where we live depends on how we love. If God's love is in you, then you possess God and God possesses you. You belong to God and God belongs to you. God lives in you and you live in Him. God will never live where love is absent. God will not accept anything that's not love. If we live in God and God lives in us, one thing will be true of us and must be true of us. Our heart will be full of love. 
Do you possess that kind of love? Are we living and walking in that kind of love? Love's sure evidence. Love's supreme example. Love's spiritual essence. And finally, love's supernatural effects. Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect. Oh, this is awesome today that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. We cannot be filled with the love of God and remain unaffected. His love conforms us to His character and transforms us into His image. So the first supernatural effect of love is confidence. Confidence. You do not fear anyone that you love. Now, let me be clear. I had a healthy fear for my father. A respect and admiration or reverence. I knew that he was a man of his word. And there was a healthy fear there. And I knew that there would be consequences for disobedience. But I never had what we would really call fear. Because I loved him. And I knew that he loved me. He never abused me. He always took care of me. He disciplined me and corrected me when I needed it. And as I grew and matured, I realized that his discipline was not a mark of hatred. It was a mark of love. The Bible says, whom a father loves, he disciplines. So I had confidence in my father's love. We can have confidence in God's love for us. It doesn't change from day to day. It is constant. He never says, well, I liked you yesterday, but I don't care for you today. It's like I heard a guy say, talking about his children, he said, well, I love that one. I don't like that one right now. (laughs) We can be confident. His love for us. You see, one of these days, every person in this room who's made Jesus Lord of their life and is in a current relationship with God will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Does that frighten you? Does your heart get fearful? Does it stir up feelings of dread? It shouldn't. As I mentioned a moment ago, there is a healthy fear and reverence in the understanding of who it is we're going to be standing before. It will be humbling beyond description, but we can be completely confident and secure tonight that His love is made perfect in our boldness at the judgment seat. The perfect love of God makes it possible for you and I when we're raptured out of here and we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We don't have to worry whether or not He's going to beat us over the head. We don't have to worry whether or not He's going to accept us because He bought us with His blood. Yes, we're going to give an account for what we were given. Yes, we're going to give an account what we did with what He gave us. Yes, there are going to be tears and we wish we would have done more, but we can be certain and secure at the judgment seat. We can have boldness that I'm His and He is mine and He accepts me and I belong to Him. Perfect love. Another translation says it this way. I like it. We need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us illuminates all dread of what He might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what He might do to us and shows us that we are not fully convinced that He really loves us. For anybody watching by Facebook Live or anybody in this room that the devil's been lying to, telling you God doesn't love you and God won't accept you and God won't forgive you and God will reject you, the devil is a liar. 
God loves you. He cares about you. He thinks about you. He doesn't want you just to be his creation. Every person that's ever been born is the creation of God, but not everybody is the child of God. There's a difference in just being his creation to being his child. Anybody thankful you're his child tonight? He wants you to be his child. He wants you to be his son or daughter. And I come against the lie of the devil that says he'll reject you. If anyone comes to him with a sincere heart, he will open his arms of love and accept you just as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you like you are. Hallelujah. And you can be confident he'll take you. He'll make a miracle out of you. That's what he does. Thank you, Jesus. So, confidence and Finally tonight, the last supernatural effect is compassion. Compassion, verse 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. John, three different times in this book, calls men liars. He says in chapter 1 and verse 6, that if a man lives in darkness but claims to have fellowship with God, he is a liar. He says in chapter 2 and verse 4, if a man lives in disobedience and claims to know God, he is a liar. Here in chapter 4 and verse 20, he says that if a man claims to know God and hates his brother, He is a liar. His argument is simple. It is humanly impossible to love a God you have not seen if you cannot love a brother who's standing right in front of you. God has fixed us as Christians where we cannot be wrong with our brother in Christ and be right with him at the same time. This is why we are told in Matthew 5 that we are to never try and worship God unless we have done our best to reconcile with someone in whom we are out of fellowship. There is a reconciliation requirement. Jesus said, don't even bring your gift up, period. You go make things right with that brother, and then you bring your offering. Did you know that if we are out of right fellowship with someone, that our prayers are hindered? Did you know if you, sir, and your wife, we understand every one of us have, we don't have fights, we have intense moments of fellowship, right? We've all had them. I can be perfectly transparent with you tonight. I travel all the time. I'm I'm home uh, two or three days a week as a general rule, but I'm out about 50 weeks a year ministering. And anything that's going to go wrong goes wrong when I'm not home. Refrigerator breaks down, washer and dryer, something with the car, whatever. I've had several times when I've had to get on the phone and have a little come to Jesus parenting session. There have been times that because of different circumstances, I've come to revival service like this when we had an intense moment of fellowship. I'm sitting there in the worship. I can't get through. It's just going nowhere. I'm moments away from taking the pulpit and I know it's going to be a thud when everything I'm trying to do hits the ground because there's something not right there. So I began to call on the Lord and ask Him to forgive me. I don't want this. And I've even gotten my phone before and texted Bridget and said, Sweetheart, I... I don't want this. I've got. I can't minister like this. I don't want this. It's not. It's not. It was. It, it, not, I'm talking about nothing that is earth shattering or going to. But it's something that wasn't right there. 
And I could not get up here and be effective when something wasn't right. We've all had these circumstances. And so when we're in these circumstances many times and we wonder why we can't get through, we wonder why it seems like our prayers aren't answered and it's just a coldness there. Many times it's because we're out of right fellowship. And as I said, we are fixed as Christians. Now, there are are circumstances where we've done everything in our power. If that person is not willing to reconcile, we can't help them. We are to do everything in our power to live in a way where we have no relationship that is not what it should be. The supernatural effect of love is a compassion that rises up within us. Even in the most challenging of circumstances. And if we were ever living in a challenging time, we're living in it right now. When it's as though this world is void of understanding and kindness and a love and a general compassion for, for someone else. Everyone's concerned about themselves. It's dog eat dog. I'll do whatever I have to do to get another rung up on the ladder. I'll step on whoever I have to step on to make more money. I'll cheat whoever I have to cheat to get what I want. We need to be people. that even while that's happening in this world, the compassion of Jesus is real and fresh and overwhelming in our heart because His love has taken us over. A compassion that doesn't want division, rifts, or to carry offense. Do you love your brother in Christ? Do you love your sisters in Christ? It's not only a matter of harmony. It's a matter of holiness. God's Word says of faith, hope, and love that the greatest of them all is love. The greatest sermon ever preached is a sermon about loving fellowship. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We are to be the people at Walmart who respond in kind. We're supposed to be the people who, when it gets line gets long and there's 18 lanes and two people working. Can I get a witness? That remain patient. Well, she'd understand something. Have you ever walked into a restaurant or a place of business and it's like everybody dropped their fork and stared at you or followed you to your seat? I want you to know something. That's not because you're so good looking or so attractive, although you may be. You know what it is? It's called the presence of God on you. And when you walk into a place and you've got the love of Jesus abounding in you, people will see and feel it when you walk in there. Not long ago, I was driving through the drive-thru of the dry cleaners that I use there in Tulsa, picking up some some shirts. And this young lady comes out to my car and she says, Sir, this is going to sound strange. She said, every time your vehicle pulls through here, I feel a love come over me that I can't describe. And I said, she said, can you help me with that? And I said, yes. I said, what you're feeling is not me. What you're feeling is the love of Jesus. And I said, I want you to understand that Jesus loves you so much. And through my car window, I was able to lead her to Jesus right there in the drive-thru. Don't say that to glorify me. I'm talking about the love of God. You ever been around somebody? Your pastor's one of them. That's the love of God. And whether it's a restaurant, no matter where you're at, he's talking to them. He's speaking about their future. He's speaking of their life. He cares about them. You can't make that up. You get around somebody with the love of Jesus just bubbles out of them. I have a friend that pastors in West Texas and he, he is a, he, he cowboys every day. But then pastors in Assembly of God Church out there, that guy is so full of the love of God, it's infectious, it gets all over you, it drips off of you, everywhere but he goes, it just gets on everything. It's, it's awesome. People 
feel the love of God everywhere that he goes. It's not something that's contrived or made up or put on or, or that's got that preacher thing going. It's just who he is. We are Christians first. We are. That's part of our problem. We're focusing too much on being preachers and not Christians. You get around somebody that's a Christian. Dad's one of them. The love of God is so real. Oh, God, that's what I want. Jude one twenty one. Keep yourself in the love of God as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us into eternal life. How many of you know we're close to the return of Jesus? <laughs> oh, we're there. We're close. We're close. Jesus is coming. Oh, the blessed hope is going to be a reality. I'm going on the first load. Can I get a witness tonight? Amen. This is not a weak or selfish or a soft love. This is a strong, unwavering, selfless, saving, powerful. Love's sure evidence, love's supreme example, love's spiritual essence, and love's supernatural effects. Can I have my musicians come to help me? Would you stand with me tonight? This message is very important to where we are right now. We must take hold of the essence of what I've brought tonight. Not because I've brought it, but because it's what changes the world. Love. The love of Jesus. The most awesome thing there is in all the world. That He loved me from that cross. He saw me being born January the 25th, 1976 at that hospital in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And he knew, seeing through the ages, that Creston Tomlin was going to be born into iniquity and born a sin. And he went through with what he came to do. And because of it, I came into the family of God. I was introduced to the blessing and the favor of God, the and live in the promises of God because of what he did. Because he Lift your hands across this place tonight. This is transformation.